What is up, everybody? Welcome to week two of the DFS MVP podcast. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. Back, as always, with my trusty co-host, Mr. John Daigle, Mr. Pat Corain of Legendary Upside. Gentlemen, how are we doing this week? Yeah, ready, ready to... to roll after week one yeah lots to discuss uh it's only friday usually by now i'm pretty confident in a three to five quarterback pool i'm very good at dwindling it down but i'm struggling since there's so much risk to take on and these are the kind of slates i love the most um lots of reasons to believe that performances last week were just lies or outlier positions so uh we'll discuss all of that in the games here yeah i mean i don't think there is such thing as a most difficult dfs week every single week is its own puzzle um i would venture to say that week two might be the most dangerous dfs week of the season um you know we spent all off season uh having our takes just to have them blown up in week one and then only to speak in absolutes with one game sample size in week two so it'll it's always fun to uh, navigate those waters as i mentioned uh mr crane the uh, founder of Legendary Upside. And if you are subscribed to Legendary Upside, you had that walkthrough hit your inbox today. Uh, that is going to be featured very heavily in the DFS MVP podcast every single week. Uh, Corrine, besides the stuff that we're going to get into um, in the podcast, any highlights from the walkthrough this week? I know you had a lot to say about uh, first read targets. In the like intro. 25 pages long. <laughs> 25 pages long. I mean, honestly, I think that might underestimate how long it is. I once copied it and it was like 30 pages in a Google. I Drive. got the email yeah. last night, which everyone, of course, if you're a legendary upside subscriber, gets the email when you post an article and podcast. And I started reading it and like I realized the cursor wasn't going down at all the more I read it. it was just <laughs> still. And I was like, all right, this is a Friday night unpacked thing, not a Thursday overnight. Well, I will say I, I did narrate the article as well. So um, I actually went through and, and made sure you guys had access in case you wanted to, to go audio with it. Um, but yeah, if, you, if you're a subscriber, there's a, uh, a premium podcast feed where you can listen to it um, and scroll through and check out the charts as, as you listen. Uh, or if you want, there's also on the free, free podcast feed as well. I, did, I narrated the free preview as well for everyone. So lots of, lots of content in there. I would say... Um, one of the big things for me with the walkthrough is like figuring out is, is when I come out of it, like I haven't really paid attention to any of the DFS conversation. Cause I just have my head down writing and like finding out like what is chalk and what is not chalk um, based on what I liked is always interesting. This week is a little disappointing. Cause I, I named it after digs. I really like Debo, you know, I was like, Oh, it's like, Oh, those guys are, everyone's all over them. So um, yeah, they're like the cash game guys. But I definitely think there's some interesting angles that we'll we'll be diving into in the pod. Yeah, I think it's a really good supplement. I mean, a fantastic supplement to everything we do at 444 and especially what we're doing here on the DFS MVP podcast. Like Corrine said, I mean, it's uh, um, it, it's it's his view of what happened the week before. It's going to happen um, in the coming week uh, with a ton of data to back it up. And it's, it's really nice to have that fresh perspective as somebody that does the ownership projections. I'm kind of forced to just look at everything early in the week. So it really is tough for me to get a... Um, 
a, a real uh, genuine opinion, my own opinion on these things. Cause like, I kind of have to look at everything. So having you guys and, and your uh, fresh opinions is very helpful for me and for the listeners and uh, for those listeners that have already subscribed to four for four, either DFS or Betty subscription, just a reminder that we have partnered with the solver this year. Solver is the best lineup optimizer that you can get in DFS. If you are a four for four subscriber, you upgrade to the solver and it, automatically syncs with all of our projections, including our ownership projections, our DFS value uh, scores. It is super valuable just to have all of that in one spot. Integrate Optimizer with the best rules, especially if you're playing GPP, whether you're playing one lineup or 150, uh, it's really helpful there. And if you haven't signed up for the 444 subscription yet, promo code YouTube, save 25% off at 444.com slash plans with the promo code YouTube. You can just click on the link in the description below for both of those, including um, linked to uh, legendary upside as well. Um, let's get into it. As we did last week, we'll kind of talk through the slate, uh, the biggest spots, the biggest um, games in terms of expected scoring and games that we're going to be targeting, some chalk spots. And then we'll, at the end, we'll run through our favorite plays of the week at each position. Um, injuries to watch before we get into everything. Surprisingly, like getting some pretty early news Friday um, that is making kind of these spots a little bit cleaner. A lot of times, you know, these are the spots we're waiting until um, Sunday morning to figure out. But looks like we're getting a lot of info. Uh, Puka Nakua um, injured, already got the word that he's expected to play. He is going to be a, a big value play for everybody this week. Aaron Jones did not practice Friday. That's going to be a big one to watch. Looks like the tight ends are all on track to play. Travis Kelsey, limited participant on Friday, but everything is sounding good for him. Mark Andrews, full participant on Friday. Uh, Darren Waller might be the one watch, limited participant on Friday. Austin Eckler did not practice, doubtful to play. We just got word before the podcast started that he is unlikely to travel with the team. So it sounds like we're going to get mega Joshua Kelly chalk over there. And then I think maybe one of the most underrated ones of the week, DeAndre Hopkins did not practice Friday. We'll have a lot more to say about that one coming up, but let's get into these games here. Uh, the big game of the week, the feature game of the week, Chiefs minus three with a 27.75 team total at the Jaguars game total. There is 51 points. I mean, the big story last week was the Chiefs and their ineptitude at the wide receiver position. Um, Karain, I'm going to start with you. Assuming Kelsey is healthy, and I mean, him and Mahomes are going to get a little bit of ownership. We're we're going to target this game in tournaments, but is there anybody on the Chiefs side besides Kelsey and Mahomes that we can even think about right now? I'm not really going to be thinking about anybody else, to be honest. I mean... Um, after, after I just saw right before he came on here, Daigle had, had quote retweeted, uh, Travis Kelsey pretending that his knee had been re-aggravated and then, and then dropping down and shaking his ass. I, you know, I think he's okay. I think he's okay. Uh, and the, the situation in the opener was just, they just don't have anybody that can earn targets. Um, I mean, I guess Tony can, but then, you know, he tosses them up in the air. So they need someone so badly, um, and if Kelsey's ninety percent, he's going to be the focal point. If he's if he's eighty percent, he's he's going to be the focal point. So, I uh, I definitely want some Kelsey in my lineups this week. Yeah, I mean, an eighty percent Kelsey is going to project better than any tight end um, in the league, 
especially after what we saw last week at tight end. I mean, I, if you saw my Twitter, it was literally from a fantasy point standpoint, one of the worst tight end weeks we've seen um, maybe ever. Only two tight ends hit double digit half PPR points um, going back to uh, 2010. That's never happened. At least three hit that mark. Um, Daigle, um, on the Jaguar side, we got uh, a big signal that Ridley is the clear alpha there. The thing that caught me off guard, and I think caught a lot of people off guard, is that it was Zay Jones and two wide receiver sets. And Christian Kirk had not limited snap production. I think he played two-thirds of the snaps. But that had a lot to do with the fact that they just weren't running three wide receiver personnel. Last year, they ran that 65% of the time. You would think with Calvin Ridley now, who they didn't have last year, that would be their base set, but they're running tons of two tight end, only 55%, um, 11 personnel last week, which was 20th in the league. Um, is the Ridley alpha role cemented for you? And do we get some um, bounce back either in, in usage, fantasy scoring, whatever it may be from Christian Kirk? Yes, I think Ridley having soaked up, as you mentioned, 34% of the team's targets, a team high mark, certainly uh, goes well, bodes well for him in this slate. Also, last week, you touched on this a little bit too, 25th in pass play rate from 11 personnel, but we don't expect that to be their offense, especially since we have Travis Kelsey logically pushing the Jaguars offense this week. That's why I want to get back on Christian Kirk. I think Christian Kirk is the best tournament play among this group. Kirk didn't fall below an 80% route rate in any full game with Trevor Lawrence last year. And he was at 67% of routes on their dropbacks in week one, because again, they didn't use three wide sets, but the Chiefs have already been targeted heavily in the slot. We know last year allowed the fourth most receptions to the slot. On Thursday night against the Lions, allowed 123 receiving yards to the slot. And Kirk in these games last year saw 12 and 14 targets against Kansas City. His 9.3% target share was also his lowest since week five last year. So it's all anomaly rates. Thus, if we think we're getting juice in this game and the Jaguars have to push back, Kirk will be on the field, and that's where we want our receivers against the Jet, against the Chiefs. So I'm absolutely going to be back on him this week. Yeah, I think Kirk is probably the sneaky play in this game for the reason you mentioned. Um, I, I think Ridley probably ends up getting owned, even though he's not projecting like as a great value on either side. Just what we saw last week combined with this game environment, I think uh, Ridley ends up being very owned. Kelsey and Mahomes, they're just they're gonna be in that like seven to twelve percent range just all the time because they always have the 30 point potential. Um, but they're always gonna be very expensive. So it's always gonna be very limiting, especially on drafting kings to pair them together. I think when people start building, especially when people start trying to get to these expensive quarterbacks, um, particularly uh Josh Allen, but uh Mahomes as well, expensive tight ends, CMC is gonna be a good value. We got Diggs and Devontae Hill we'll talk about more. I think people are going to look at this game and look at this game environment. And I think Zay Jones is going to be the guy that ends up with like the surprise steam. And that's going to put me on uh, Kirk even more. Um, any thoughts on ETN or either of the running backs from either of you guys? I would I you, no, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go Both running backs, I think are interesting because we did get a surprising Clyde Edwards-Alaire downgrade on Friday, who's now questionable for this game. And I was encouraged by Pacheco's role. Remember, he was dealing with that shoulder injury throughout the preseason, one carry in the last preseason game. We didn't expect him to be used, but still to lead their team or their running backs and routes run and carries, 
Um, Jarrett McKinnon strictly playing on third down, not a single carry in that game. And in his age 31 season, we don't believe he can earn targets anyway. So the fact that he still led in backfield touches in a part-time role, Pacheco, and now we have CEH banged up, I would get a lot higher, especially on FanDuel for Pacheco. Uh, he's priced only $100 more than Deontay Foreman and 200 more than Rico Dowdle. It's like egregious where they put him at as the Chiefs starting running back. So FanDuel in particular, I'm high on him. And then I believe Corrine is also probably high on ETN. Uh, the, t- the usage, sure, we expect it. But the immense opportunity, a career high in route rate, 86% of dropbacks, a career high in target share, 15.5%, like did not see either of those things coming. Immense workload like that. So maybe it is as simple as Tank Bigsby, Jermichael Hasty, who was healthy scratched. Maybe it's as simple as like those guys are not ready right now. And if that's the case, again, we get that same layout. Then ETN is just a workhorse who's underpriced. I think that is essentially what he is i mean it's kind of interesting like we we have this guy who was really good he was a first round pick he was a good prospect um and you know then he's then he's efficient especially as a rusher and he's not just like a breakaway guy he was also very consistent as a rusher and he has a third round rookie backing him up and we spent the entire summer like terrified about that third round rookie when you know it's actually a pretty awesome situation for a guy to be in you know, a, a young, talented running back like Travis Etienne. And I mean, I was kind of, I was still shocked to see how much he was used. Uh, he was RB1 in route participation, RB3 in snap share. Uh, he's never, I think, going to have like this off the charts yards per route run type of role. But yeah, 16% target share. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's not like CMC, but that's, it's pretty, it's pretty darn good. So, uh, he's definitely the the Jaguar outside of Ridley that I'm most interested in. And Tank did get the carries inside the five-yard line. The team's only two carries by running backs. Um, and ETN scored his touchdown from outside the red zone, that 26-yard run where he broke three tackles. So they kind of had the roles we perceived, at least in those areas of the field. But for ETN to earn and be used that often in the passing game, yeah, that's what, that's what shocked me so much, especially on DraftKings where – This week, you know, talking about overarching themes, last week, TJ, you know, you had the cash game article for everyone. You spit out an 86 percentile cash lineup because you figured out the theme. The idea was to save at quarterback and just make sure basically you could get both Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson because they end your lives as they did last week. This week, the theme of the slate, there is no Tyreek or Justin Jefferson. The running back slate is as pitiful as ever. There's only a CMC and question marks the rest of the way. So, like, I'm trying to find these guys who have ceilings, um, and we'll get to Tony Pollard in, this, in a bit, but when I shuffle through these options and who we're trying to prioritize, I basically get to CMC, Amonra, St. Brown, and then, like, whatever the hell else anyone else wants to do. A, a, a note on the Chiefs here real quick is that, like, they didn't have Kelsey and things were kind of out of sorts. But, like, if you just didn't know that and all you knew, if you were just zoomed out and you're just looking at, like, how the Chiefs were operating their offense in terms of the the expected pass rate and their pass rate, they were the Chiefs. Like, they were still pressing the, you know, the the foot on the gas in terms of passing the ball. And with as disastrous as everything was without Kelsey, now to have Kelsey back, like, they're going to be pushing the pace. um, And and there's going to be a lot of passing volume in this game as long as the Jaguars are willing to – to play ball. 
And I think they are. They they were um, aggressive on first and 10 with their pass rate last week. I don't think they're going to shy away from playing the Chiefs straight up, especially with how Ridley just did. Like they, they probably feel like they can hang now. Um, and so I just think passing volume is going to be high here. Uh, that's why ETN's usage as a receiver, I think, is so important. Yeah, as Daigle said on the podcast with Paulson earlier in the week on 4 for 4 um, Jaguars mostly understood the assignment against the Chiefs last year. I think they fully understand it um, this week, and, and this game lives up to expectations. Uh, the other big game on the slate, at least in terms of totals, is the Lions at the Seahawks. We have a 47.5 point total there. Lions favored by 4.5 with a 26.25 team total. Uh, the big thing we saw last week from the Lions against the Chiefs, um, besides the Lions just getting a ton of of pressure on the Chiefs on the defensive side was the David Montgomery out touching Jameer Gibbs 21 to 9. We're going to get David Montgomery chalk uh, this week because of that, because they're favorite at home in a uh, potentially high scoring game against Seahawks defense um, that struggled against a inferior rushing game against the Rams last week. Um, a couple questions for you, Daigle, because um, we know we're going to get a Monor St. Brown work in this game, uh, even if it doesn't blow up as much as it's supposed to. Can't we trust the Montgomery chalk here? Is Gibbs going to get more work than we expected, like they said? And after a Monor St. Brown, is Sam Laporta like the sneaky play if we think this game does shoot out like it's, it's expected to? My only issue is Sam Laporta because he is a good play, but the way to build lineups, it seems easier to just go to Josh Reynolds at 3,700 on DraftKings, uh, maybe take him cheap on FanDuel. So is Laporta a good play? Yes. But when talking about structure and what we're trying to do this week, at 3,900 on DraftKings in particular, it does seem a little expensive, honestly, when I can just go to Josh Reynolds instead. Uh, for Montgomery, it really just depends. You know, We talked about risk at the top. It depends how you perceive this game script playing out. Because I don't know. I, I, I genuinely, I'm trying to figure it out whether I believe in the Seahawks offense or not. Uh, what we saw was Geno go 13 of 21 in the first half. And then, of course, this team lost Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, their starting tackles in the second half. And Geno went three of nine for nine yards. Seattle totaled 12 yards in the second half. And he finished the entire game four of 10 for just 24 yards under pressure. It was miserable. And the Lions, you know, who were on top of Patrick Mahomes. Like, I know it doesn't look like in the box score because of his sacks and also because he scrambled around seven times. And even though they lost, looked like the best quarterback, looked like at a league of his own in a loss on Thursday night. Um, the Lions added the pieces to where it makes sense they have a good defense. Like, Alex Anzalone, who they gave $9 million guaranteed to, led them in tackles. They drafted coverage linebacker Jack Campbell in the first round. Uh, they gave Chauncey Gardner-Johnson $6 million to start at safety. They paid $24.5 million guaranteed to two coverage corners, and Brian Branch had first-round grades. He falls to day two. He had that 50-yard pick six for them. So if they are a terrorizing front seven and just a frisky secondary that can give Seattle troubles, that makes sense. And if you play it like that, then you're probably taking on Dave Montgomery Chalk and running it back with Lions defense. We'll also talk about defenses this week later on because there's so many good plays at the Chief, especially after injury reports have made it so much clearer. But that's the way I kind of view it. Do I think he gets 70% of backfield touches again? Maybe if game script plays out that way. But if you think they're getting pushed and Seattle and Geno bounce back here, then I think you easily get off Montgomery. Yeah, um, I, I don't I don't know if you 
can easily get off Montgomery and cash games. I think it's probably a lock, but if we're getting like, yeah, but, but if, if you said that scenario, especially if we're getting like 25% Montgomery, where he could be down to even a 60% touch share, like at that kind of ownership, I think that's, that's a pretty easy fade. Um, but as you mentioned, there are some concerns from Seattle um, in terms, both in terms of their injuries on the line and how Detroit looked last week on defense. And Pat, that kind of leads me into my question about the Seahawks, because I don't think that the Geno dud and the, the, the offensive dud um, is necessarily who they are because they're actually very efficient in the first half. After those two tackles went out, um, we really saw that passing game struggle. But what we did see from this offense was a huge dose of Kenneth Walker. My thinking here is kind of if these tackles are out, like they might be forced to like do this quick, short passing game, which would suggest more Zach Charbonnet. So is the Ken Walker usage signal or just noise? And if this offense does bounce back, is this like the sneaky spot to be stacking an offense, assuming this game total goes off as we as at least as Vegas expects it to? Yeah, the Walker stuff, I, I think it is kind of noise, like where, you know, he, the snaps were good. Um, he looks like kind of the clear lead back, which is, which is nice. I mean, that's, that's basically what we expected, but he had this 18% target share and you're like, okay, you know, that would be a big difference from how he was used last year, how he was used in college. Uh, he was really inefficient on that work though. He had 0.19 yards per outrun, which is horrendous. Um, and he had four targets, right? Like Daigle just outlined how they they weren't able to like create any offensive volume at all. And so when you just look at it like zoomed out, like we have one data point and it's literally four targets and we're going to get excited that this guy's never caught passes in his entire football career is all of a sudden going to do it. Like, I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm kind of fading that. Um, I do think that, you know, it would be kind of interesting to – to try to play some Seattle stuff though, partly because JSN was not really like in the mix as much as I thought he would be. Uh, it really seems right now to be Metcalf and Lockett as the top two. So it, I don't think it's going to be concentrated like this all season, but for now it's kind of like the same Seattle where you can, you can play it through those two wide receivers. Uh, at least that's what last week said. Yeah. I don't think we could touch Seattle at any type of cash game. Um, I, I think that's pretty obvious, but if we're just kind of looking from a tournament perspective, if we assume that this game does go over should remind everybody that this was like the game of the year in terms of scoring in DFS last year, outside of that Ravens uh, dolphins game, uh, this game had, I think 90 something points, both winners of the Sunday million and the, the uh, DraftKings millionaire last year had, I believe six players from this game in both of those lineups. But if we're looking, at this game, assuming it does go over from a tournament perspective, we have Jared Goff and Geno Smith both projected in this like second tier of ownership behind Josh Allen and Anthony Richardson. I want to be playing Jared Goff at like 3%. I don't want to be playing 8 or 9% Jared Goff. And especially when you're pairing him, you're going to be pairing him with Amon Roth. If you're playing him without Amon Roth, it's probably really bad, who's probably going to be around 20% or higher. On the Geno side, like sure he's projecting like he, he might get some ownership, but you're going to get him with like 5% pass catchers. So I think I like the Seattle side um, pretty clear in the, clearly in this game. Um, David Montgomery and Amonra are the only cash game options. They're both really good cash game options, um, top values on the site. 
um, on four for four. I kind of like the Seattle stuff, and then you play Gibbs. You know, it's like you get the leverage off the yes, chalk. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. If absolutely. Seattle shows up, like that, really blows a hole in the the David Montgomery thesis as well. Absolutely. Those are the two games that have high totals um, that have relatively short spreads. We have quite a few teams that have big team totals, but are also big favorites. Uh, the big one, and I should note, like all of these games are early games. So it's going to be a really interesting slate because a lot of our high scoring games are in the 1 p.m. window, um, except for the 49ers who we'll get to. But the team with the big total this week is the Bills, eight and a half point favorites against the Raiders, 27.75 team total. Um, Pat, this looks like a really obvious bounce back spot, but you had quite a bit to say about the Raiders in your legendary upside um, right up this week. The Raiders are likely going to be without Jacoby, but you saw some stuff last week that thinks they might throw more than expected. If that happens, can they push the bills and keep this game close? And why is them throwing still good for Josh Jacobs? Well, yeah, on Josh Jacobs, like he, he got all the work. Like he, he's Josh Jacobs. Like he, he's what you kind of thought he was. Any concern that like the holdout, you know, was going to hurt his workload, or that you know they got to look at Zamir White, and they're like, all right, we had eighty percent snap share. Uh, he had a twelve percent target share. He was actually one of the few backs who was, who was like really efficient in yards per out run. He's not like that efficient as a receiver, but he's always been solid. Um, and that's kind of how Josh Jacobs got there last year is that he was solid on an elite workload. Um, solid probably undersells a little bit, but he wasn't, he wasn't elite on an elite workload, but he was, he was like, you know, above expectations. And then the workload really got him there and the workload is still there. And I think this game is going to be, um, you know, one where the Raiders are, are in catch up mode. And the fact that we're seeing Josh Jacobs being used a lot as a receiver, still getting those targets is pretty massive. Jacoby Myers being out is, I think, pretty big in in some ways. Um, it probably hurts the offense a little bit because he looked pretty good um, and he was getting getting used heavily. But I think we're you know normally we're going to be it's going to be Adams, Myers, and Jacobs, and everything's going to kind of flow through those three guys. And with Myers out, I think it probably helps Adams and Jacobs a little bit. Yeah, I don't think this is a spot where. Um... You know, Jacoby's out, so we're just like throwing in um, Hunter Renfro or something. I think it's like a Devonte, a Devonte, a million percent target share game. I, and, and I tried to navigate it like that, TJ. Um, <laughs> yeah. I started, I started building like, oh, I can save down like Kendrick Bourne last week. I can now get cheap in my stacks with this wide receiver. But then I started going and looking at the splits, and Christian Wilkerson, who remember is Josh McDaniel's boy. Uh, from New England, he did wasn't on the team last year. Was playing nearly as much as Renfro, so I, I would worry about that spot. Yeah, I mean the the hope is, and I, I think probably they both get owned. But the hope is that um, Diggs outpaces Devonte in ownership, um, especially on DraftKings on on Fanduel. Devonte's uh, quite a, a bit more affordable relative to the salary cap. But like, if we can get a 25% digs and a 15% Devonte, I, I like that. Devonte is not going to go um, unowned, but if we could get him like in the, the mid to low teens compared to 25% digs, that would be great. Um, speaking of digs, this is a very obvious bounce back spot uh, for the bills. 
as much as they struggled on national TV on Monday night, uh, still have a high total. They're still going to be the chalky offense. So we know we could play Josh Allen. We know we could play Diggs. Um, probably semi-comfortable with James Cook. But the big question is, after those guys, who the hell do we play, if anybody? The the player that got, I think, a lot of digital ink from the community this week was Dalton Kincaid because he basically got used as a slot receiver, but what they didn't do is stretch the field with him. Very low A dot um, last week um, against the um, against the Jets. And we also had, saw Denver have a very low A dot against the Raiders. So is there something that changes this week, Daigle, where we see Josh Allen, the Bills, stretch it out a little more with Kincaid against this Raiders defense? And is he playable um, in, I don't know, any format this week? It's not going to be popular, but where mm-hmm. I play Josh Allen, I kind of like Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox stacks. Okay. Those are kind of my two favorite <laughs> oh, players yeah. on this slate. So Gabe Davis, I would imagine we get some recoil here. The Raiders played zone at the eighth highest rate in week one. And that, of course, is what Gabe Davis was successful against last year, whereas the Jets were top five in man coverage in week one. 61% of Davis's targets last season came against zone coverage, and he averaged the ninth most yard per catch, 6.9. His yards per route run also doubled against zone coverage compared to man. So we think this is an immediate bounce-back spot for him. And then as for their tight ends, one, I always like our tight ends to fit our stacks. We talk about that weekly, whether it's the run back or along with our quarterback. And there's even a chat here about Michael Mayer, Austin Hooper, and we can't play Raiders tight ends. And Austin Hooper is playing significantly more than Michael Mayer. It's not that time. And Hooper gives us nothing in our lineups. So playing a Buffalo tight end also makes sense at low ownership. But then you look at what happened between Kincaid and Knox, and one, on DraftKings, Knox is cheaper, $200 cheaper than Kincaid, just 3,100. And he ran two fewer routes than Kincaid, but earned two more targets. Kincaid, like as much as I like him too, and they are using him, as Pat mentioned, as more of a receiver, Kincaid is a 76 percentile athlete going against cornerbacks. Three of his four targets came against cornerbacks, whereas Knox is a 92nd percentile athlete going against linebackers and earning more targets on the same number of routes. That's what I want. So we have this little blocker here now since we're not using a Raiders tight end either. So that's how I personally like playing Josh Allen stacks at significantly lower ownership than collectively starting your lineups at 18% Allen, 20% Diggs, uh, whereas Davis we think is going to check in 5% or less. Yeah, we have Dalton Kincaid at just under 10% ownership right now, but at $3,300, where a lot of the cheap wide receivers are going to be in that like 45 to 49 range, I think Kincaid probably ends up on the other side of 10%, um, on the wrong side for our purposes. So I kind of agree with that. I'm not against um, Diggs, Allen, expensive, high ownership stacks, uh, but I think you got to throw something unique in there, and I do not think Kincaid is going to be that piece. Then, yeah, I love the Knox part of it because, uh, you know, I was I was definitely very wrong on the Dalton Kincaid usage. Um, I really thought, like, there's no way that he's going to be able to, to run, like, a full slate of routes because they have a tight end and they're not going to just operate out of 12. And I just didn't realize, like, the extent to which they just don't consider him a tight end. Like, he played a third of his routes on the outside. And, you know... He's, he's a receiver, but to Dale's point, I'm not sure he's a very good receiver, at least not today, maybe soon. Um, 
And so you can play the Bills starting tight end, Dawson Knox, who ran a full slate of routes because Kincaid isn't a tight end and didn't interfere with that in any way. You just play him and no one wants to think about it. But, <laughs> you know, you get touchdown upside there and he's he's really cheap. It's uh, Daigle, it's are you just like, casual? Are you, are you just casually me. pulling um, high life cans over there? Is that what I just said? Uh, this is actually uh, Rockstar. They don't sponsor us. Okay. But okay. As you as you know, TJ, you and I play poker, so poker players keep cash on hand all the time. Okay. okay. And thus, I sure. have I have leftover coins, and so I walk <laughs> over to the grocery store and use the change because the ATM in, in here doesn't have a coin deposit. That's my life, TJ. In case you're curious. Okay, I thought I saw High Life Cat over there. Sorry to distract. I just I, I could not let that night, just go. So. Just go. Let that go. Um. Cash game uh, for this game. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs are both projecting as top values on both sides at their respective positions. Uh, this week, it's just going to kind of come down to like, who do you want to spend at? I'll talk about this more. I think I'm trying to jam in Allen and CMC together. So that probably leaves Diggs out. But if you're playing Diggs and cash, um, can't be bad. Same for Devontae with Jacoby out. Uh, Josh Jacobs, his floor is just going to be too low as, a, as an eight and a half point dog for cash. Do you feel... Because I feel like the theme of this slate revolves around like the Chiefs game and the Bills game, given what ownership is soaking up. Uh, and Rams 49ers, which we'll get into in a minute. Do you feel like you could spin down at quarterback in this slate? That's kind of what my head is evolving around right now. Because if you feel like we can confidently find 25 points from someone not named Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, I think I'm willing to take that chance given what else we can do with that excess $3,500 salary. Yeah, I'll touch on this more, but you could play Richardson in cash this week for sure. Okay. I'm in tournaments yeah. too, uh, but maybe oh, we'll have to um, I mean, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I'll have to look more. I, I, don't, I don't know if we have a cheap ceiling. I mean, I got some sicko. I threw like, someone in. Uh, I, threw I got some Billy makers. Yeah. I don't know if I even uh, feel good let, about it. Let's say let's 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 save that move. On I wanted to say Richardson, but he, yeah, uh, he let, was let's say yeah, yeah. I don't know if Richardson <laughs> has a ceiling this week. Um. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action, and when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com NFL. PrizePix is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, PrizePix is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their PrizePix stat projection. It's that easy. And you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. PrizePix even offers in-game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together with more Devonta Smith receiving yards or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now, you can. Just go to prizepicks.com slash DFSMVP and use the promo code DFSMVP to match your first deposit up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. 
Uh, 49ers are the only late window team with a total above 25 points favored by seven and a half, 26.25 total against the Rams. Daigle, we're going to have CMC chalk here. He's just projecting so much better than everybody else on the slate. My question for you about the Niners with this total is um, I, I do think people are going to want to stack the Niners a bit uh, because they're really the only late window stackable team. But Ayuk was the obvious beneficiary last week, got the two touchdowns. Uh, Seattle didn't give us much info against the Rams in, in terms of, of uh, how we want to be attacking them just because it was just all puka. But I mean, my question is, are the 49ers even stackable or is this a team that it's just going to be one guy or one pass catcher that's feast or famine every week? We saw all three of their main, their, their big three Debo, Ayuk, and even Kittle who, who people are saying is basically like, you know, we can't touch all three of them had over 20%. I, I 20% target share. I don't see two pass catchers winning in the same week in this offense. Do you? I think they can. So where I'm at is that obviously everyone's going to play Puka with any 49er stacks. I don't know how many people will play Brock Purdy. That's kind of what brings my question to mind about can I pay down a quarterback because everyone's going to play Chalk, CMC, and Debo, but how many will tag along Purdy at 5,700 and give us some cheap outs here to spend that money? Um, but then everyone plays Puka. My thing is, maybe we don't have to play Rams. Like, maybe you could still stack the 49ers as they continue to do nothing but be good and put up 30 points with Brock Purdy and then not run it back because they're still just going to score. Kyle Shanahan now has put up at least 20 points in all five matchups against the Rams the last two years with the playoffs included. And the 49ers are one of only four offenses that gained 15 yards on 20% of their passes in week one. And that was against a good and sturdy Steelers defense. So, against the Rams, who we had questions about all offseason long and played well in week one, but we still think it's a fluke performance. Uh, no matter what, we just think they're going to get there. So kind of where I come down is I'm probably tagging along Purdy in some lineups if I play yeah. Debo, AMC, and C, and I may not even feel necessary to run it back, honestly. Yeah, this this slate is super funky because, again, like I said, the Niners are the only potential or projected high-scoring team on this late slate. And then we got the Puka Chalk late, but, I mean, these aren't like – we. I don't have a guy that I feel comfortable getting leverage off of Puka with on the Rams. It's 4,900. I mean, like, he's not even yeah. 3K. That's the thing. It, yeah. I mean, so, so Karain, I – I honestly don't even really know what the question is here because we already got word that Puka is likely to play. I mean, Kyron Williams was an interesting talking point last week, but I don't need, is there anything we want to do with her? Like for, for me, it's just like fade Puka or not. It's not, is there someone else to play? Is, is that the wrong way to think about it? I mean, I think we should uh, give Tutu Atwell a little respect here. I, I know he's uh uh, five foot one and a half, right? That's only look that up. And, um, you know, he's he just no one, it's like, but you know, he was targeted very heavily last week. He only had a 22% target share to Puka's 39%. Um, so you know, Puka was was clearly the guy, but when you look at the first three targets, um, it, it gets a little closer. Uh, Puka was at 34%, which was the highest, uh, among all wide receivers last week. Uh, it, his usage was absolutely absurd, but Tutu was at 26%, which is an elite rate. And if you have Puka active, but banged up, I think that creates 
an interesting pivot point to Tutu because I don't think anybody's going to do it. Like, I don't, I think no one wants to do it. <laughs> There's not like, I can't believe I'm saying this now. I feel like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get excommunicated from, from the industry. No one wants to play Tutu. Um, but his, his underlying stuff was actually really strong as well. He's a, he's a deep threat. He can get there in just a few plays. If we're going against this, this really difficult defense, you know, that's, that's a nice out to have. Um, I don't want to touch Kyron with a 10 foot pole. I feel like he's not, he's not that good. And it's kind of a volume based play against an elite defense. Don't love that. So yeah, if it's not Puka, it would be two, two for me. Two, two was also, he came with those first read target share because he led the league in motion in week one. And even when you watch the film, you could tell he was constantly being schemed and running behind the line of scrimmage. And then the ball was, that was the read to get the ball to him in motion against man. Yeah. As, as bad as this um, slate is for late swap, just because the late games are so gross, I will say we do still have the um, just the, the basic DFS concept that if you are playing Puka and CMC, you're playing them late and we should be playing them with the information based off what we do in the early slate. So if our contrarian you, plays hit, if our contrarian plays hit early, you could play Puka and CMC. If you whiff, you gotta you gotta pivot. I'll you also you. say come over here. You'll be, we'll be with two two of me. <laughs> you also say a, a bad slate for late swap, but actually it's mm. good because mm. the only late swap game anyone's going to is Rams 49ers. So sure, like sure. if you fail in the morning, all you do is swap off that game because everything else is wide open in the afternoon. Yeah. Just play Cortland Sutton. Um <laughs> uh other game with a, a, a decent total here, but the I think the range of outcomes is very wide on this one um, for lots of ring reasons. Bengals versus the Ravens, 46.5 total Bengals favored by three in this one. The obvious question on the Bengals side for you, Corrine, is can Burrow and company get right after uh, just an atrocious week one? Like some people were suggesting Burrow shouldn't even have been on the field because looked like he was, you know, still struggling maybe from that calf injury. Um, is the O-line going to be a concern all year? We do got value on Joe Burrow, at least on Fandle. He's cheaper than Anthony Richardson and Daniel Jones on Fandle already. And is T Higgins like the most obvious by low player um, in football right now? Yeah, I think T Higgins is, is super yeah, I'm definitely interested in him as a buy low. The thing with Burrow is that, like, if you look at the matchup that he's facing now, you know, the Ravens got pressure last week. Uh, they had a good pass rush grade. They got pressure in 2.5 seconds or less at the ninth highest rate. Uh, the idea that, you know, Burrow's going to suddenly, like, not deal with a bunch of pressure this week, like, no, I think he will. I think he's probably going to take sacks. Like, it's probably going to be somewhat similar in that respect, but ultimately the, it, like he's burrow is really like the case for me. And then when you look at Higgins, like Higgins actually had quite a bit of opportunity last week, his expected yards per outrun based on his, his, uh, his target rate and his average depth of target was 2.39, which is an elite rate, um, elite yards per outrun. He obviously was a zero. So his yards per outrun was, was zero, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's very interesting. It seems like people are, are ready to go back to Chase as well. Um, but, yeah, I guess I would be in a situation where he's priced like that, then he's a no-brainer. Uh, on DraftKings, I don't know if I'll if I'll be on him, though. Just, I don't know, I feel like there's kind of other options. He's going to be dealing with pressure again. 
I like Bengals stacks on FanDuel for, I mean, that, that Burrow pricing just is absurd. It seems like just such a big one game reaction, but I mean, we got O-line issues on both sides of the ball. Daigle, we saw uh, the Ravens, they had injuries on the offensive line uh, last week and they ended up facing like quite a bit of pressure from a Texans defense that isn't supposed to be that great, but we saw Cincinnati had a pretty high pressure rate um, themselves on defense last week. So is this a sneaky spot for Cincinnati defense and what are we doing with the Ravens pass catchers, regardless of how their old line looks like everyone saw the, the Zay flowers target share, but super low a dot Mark Andrews wasn't healthy and Odell was still running routes. Like he was the, uh, you know, a or wide receiver one or the wide receiver one. Uh, what, what's your take on this Baltimore passing game? And Lamar scored only 14.8 fantasy points against the and didn't run a lot. And, and didn't run a lot in this game last year. So it's certainly concerning. And that's what you're talking about because now on defense, they're not only out four of their or two of their top six players, highest paid players in safety, Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey on the outside. But this offensive line, man, I think that's what's happened to Isaiah Likely and why we lost him. Everyone says like target share wasn't being used. He had the first catch of the game underneath and then they lost Ronnie Stanley at left tackle and Tyler Linderbaum at center and then Likely proceeded to block on 45% of his snaps. Like that was higher than any game last year that he played without Mark Andrews, not even close. Like they had to keep him in line to, to make sure Lamar was safe. Lamar went 15 of 15, amazing from the from a clean pocket but actually finished two of seven for 14 yards and a pick when under pressure just miserable and so if we think they're yet again going to struggle like against pressure then it's hard to take any of these guys seriously everyone wanted to talk about justice hill but no one wanted to mention his one yard per carry everyone just only talked about his two touchdowns instead since he got the carries inside the five yard line so to me it's zay flowers Odell Beckham was one of only nine players to run a route on every single drop back for this offense, and it didn't matter, probably because it's Odell Beckham at this stage of his career. So I just don't even think there's anyone here outside of Mark Andrews who can earn targets, and I worry about this total overall. I'm worried about the total. I'm worried about the Ravens side in general. Zay Flowers is going to pop in everyone's projections because of the target share he saw um, last week, but um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not on it. Um, let's move along to the last, the last big spread of the week, but for fantasy purpose, the game might not be the best Cowboys favored by eight and a half. Um, but the total is very low, even as eight and a half point favorites, their team total is, is only 24 points. I guess we're, we're looking at two very good defenses here. Um, the only really two questions on the Cowboys side, Daigle is can Pollard still smash for some very good Jets defense? Like I'm not take his usage numbers with a grain of salt last week. They were just smashing the giants that, you know, we, he got the goal line work. Um, and are we even touching Dallas's passing game after what we saw the, uh, Jets do to the bills last week? Like, I, I think maybe people might be like, do we throw darts at, at Gallup just cause cooks is out CD's expensive. So it's, it's, it's just a different conversation. Um, but what, what, where are you at on Cowboys this week against a really good defense? It would largely set up for a good week for the Cowboys and their defense probably gets there, even though it's hard to pay up for them. And we probably can't at, at a top two price on both sites, but I'm still a little worried because nothing has gone in favor of Dallas this week. Uh, not only Tyler Smith, second year in the league going to be out this game. Zach Martin also banged up. We will is expected to play through injury. Brandon cooks questionable to doubtful. So we don't know for throwing like Malcolm Gallagher, 
Michael Gallup and Jalen Tolbert out there now in three wide sets. And Dak Prescott was bad. No one knows because it was a 40 to nothing loss, but Dak Prescott finished dead last in completion rate over expected and next-gen stats last week, completed only 53% of his passes, and this offense under Mike McCarthy, the debut of his play calling with Dallas, ended up being the highest run play rate on early downs in the first half. Nothing here suggests it's a high-scoring game or that it's going to be fun or sexy. So I think I'm actually more towards leaning and fading Tony Pollard than a lot of people are suggesting. Yeah, Tony Pollard will be written up um, as a fringe cash gameplay just because they are such big favorites. But again, like uh, probably be playing CMC a lot more in that spot. Um, both defenses are going to be cash viable in this game. They're both projecting as very good values on both sides. Um, on the Jet side, on offense, um, I mean, Kareem. Is it brace or bust? I mean, I, I obviously Garrett Wilson's going to be like a target share dude, but what, what does that really mean in this offense at this point? Um, can we do anything with the Jets offense? I really don't think we can. And I I have a ton of briefs from, from all my best ball and high stakes drafts this summer. I'm a big believer. I loved what I saw in week one. But like my thing with Brees, you know, this whole summer is like they told Dalvin, like basically would want you to come in and like help Brees get healthy and then you're going to back him up. And he thought about it for a week and then signed the, signed the money, you know? So that they kind of, they've had a plan in place. They brought in Dalvin, I think specifically for that plan to get Brees Hall ramped back up in a prudent way. Like this is, it makes sense. He tore his ACL. He's, he's not yet a year removed from that injury. He's going to come back up slow. And then the second half of this season, I think he's absolutely going to smash. But against the Cowboys defense with Zach Wilson under center and like he's, he isn't 100%, like, no, I, I'm not that interested at, at all. Cowboys defense, 4,500 on FanDuel. They are 4 for 4s top value. The Jets defense, $2,700 on DraftKings is our defense 2 by 4 for 4 value score. Um, Pat, any other games that you're looking at on this slate? Yeah, the one that uh, I think is kind of interesting, and it's tough because like, I don't know that Justin Herbert is going to pop as someone that we actually want to play. Um, and, you know, it's like, do we now we have DeAndre Hopkins hurt. Uh, I've I like Traylon Burks as a player, but his usage last week was extremely concerning given that he has a knee injury. You know, it kind of jumped out to me that he's probably not healthy. So, like, how do you possibly play this game, especially if Joshua Kelly's going to be mega chalk? But I do think the Titans are a pass funnel, and I think they're pretty strong against the run. That's the reason they're a pass funnel. And I think the Chargers, you know, they established the run last week, but they were kind of in position to do that. Like, they were in – um you know, I think that the game setting was one where that made sense for them to run and they did run, but this is a situation where it makes a lot of sense for them to pass. And I was encouraged by the fact that it looked really concentrated to Mike Williams and Keenan Allen last week, especially Keenan Allen. So I, the little mini that I keep coming back to is Keenan Allen and Chigakonkwo. And I think Chigakonkwo is very interesting because he was out there running a lot of routes. He ran a lot more routes than I thought he might and a lot more routes than he ran last year. The targets weren't there, but the whole reason we know Chigakonkwo is because he was getting targeted at a super high rate on limited routes last year. Now we have routes and now we have the target hog, DeAndre Hopkins, probably not available. It just makes so much sense to me that 
you know, if this game does start to get a little fun because the Chargers push through the air, that Chigakonkwa would get some targets on the other side. And Keenan Allen is probably the way for me to play it on the Chargers side. Uh, we're going to have Joshua Kelly chalk for the Chargers. Um, they're going to be throwing against a Titans defense that Derek Carr led the league in average depth of target against last week. Uh, on the other side, we got Derek Henry, who could be a high salary price pivot off of CMC, who will be chalk. Uh, Daigle, is there another game that you're interested in this week? Uh, I am very interested in what Pat just talked about. Both sides, the ball, actually. Because even if we lose DeAndre Hopkins, it's a concerted targetry. It's only Chig and Traylon Burks. And if, if you're someone's a sicko and playing million makers out there, uh, Ryan Tannehill, we're, we're, <laughs> we are one game removed, not a year, one game, week one removed from Ryan Tannehill being seventh in completion rate under pressure and eighth in yards per attempt from a clean pocket. Just one game removed. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Against a team that just allowed 17 passes of 15 plus yards. That's all I'm saying. Nick but, Westbrook Akine just getting behind the Chargers defense. All don't day. do that. Only chicken trigger line. Only, <laughs> only those two. Uh, but I'm also interested in Justin Fields against the Bucks. Uh, we talk about games that have lots of question marks. And I, I don't think the Bears offense is that. Maybe they are, but the Bears and Falcons were one of only two offenses to pass their running backs on at least 44% of targets. For reference, the Chargers led the league at 26% backfield target rate. It's not going to happen. It's going to come backwards. So we think, given how the Bucks play defense, it sets up well for maybe, if, if it all clicks for Chicago, a ceiling game, especially since Justin Fields is still going to run the ball significantly. The Bucks blitz Kirk Cousins and the Vikings at the second highest rate of any team in week one. They're probably going to send the house in this game. And yes, last year, Fields completed just 55% of his passes against the Blitz, 31st out of 34 qualifiers that had at least 70 dropbacks against the Blitz. But against the Packers, it was different. He went 9 of 11 in week one against the Blitz, and his death to target doubled. Still not high whenever you finish a game with a 3.3 depth of target. It was only six and a half. <laughs> but, again, it doubled, and we expect the targets to go elsewhere. So if that's the case, I think the stacks make sense. We see Rashad White on the other side of the ball for the Bucks coming in high rostered because he's only 5,500. He's cheap on both sides. So the stacks kind of tell themselves a story. Justin Fields, DJ Moore, and Mike Evans, who had a 31% target share in week one. So I'm kind of looking at it from that angle. I, I look, we have a, a um, show sheet every week and I look at it before the show and I still wasn't anticipating Ryan Tannehill and Justin Fields stacks talks um, towards the end here. So, so uh, uh, after, after the bears got torched by Aaron Jones uh, last week, do we trust Rashad White? I mean, we don't trust Rashad White. We don't trust him, but I, I think he's in play. I, if he's chalky, I think I'm, I'm happy to let the field have him. But if like if people just don't think they can go there um, at 5,500 because of how bad he was last last week and and last year, <laughs> um, I mean he's going to get the volume this week and maybe the volume dries up pretty quickly after that. But I think this week he has it and the Bears defense is terrible. It's terrible at stopping everything. It's terrible at stopping the pass. Terrible at stopping the run. So you know if if you get a workhorse running back who's going against a horrible defense. Um, and people don't want to play him. I definitely do. It looks like he's probably gonna be pretty chalky though. And in, yeah. in which I case, would, you know, 
Look, he's very I bad, would, guys. You can't play him. I would think I would think that the Eckler injury, now that it's a great basically official, mm. squeezes mm. White some by Sunday. Because um, he's like he sounds right between Montgomery and, and Kelly. So I, I and think no one wants they, to play him. I, I think White might get squeezed by Sunday. That's nice. that's also why I like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Uh, because they are pivots off of Kelly, who is just Jamal Williams last week. He's just an easy player to fade because the matchup is tough. The Titans finished top five and limiting yards per carry against running backs last year. They allowed Miami to rush for only 2.2 yards per carry. As you mentioned, Pat, they are a true pass funnel. You can't get anything on them. Also, I could be wrong, but we don't expect following all the hype out of Chargers camp for this offense to be what they did last week, to be eighth and run play rate from neutral game script. That's not going to happen. We think they go back through the air and sling it with Justin Herbert. So if that's the case, we have Kelly not getting as much volume as they had last week and in the a much tougher matchup. Easy fade. Um, we've covered the big games in depth, so uh, we'll just do a couple quick hitters here. Uh, looking at early ownership projections, and again, a lot can change between Friday and Sunday. Uh, the three highest uh, cumulative passing game ownerships uh, right now are the Lions, Bills, and Jags. So, Pat, um, is one of those three stand out to you as a chalk offense that you're willing to lean into? The Bills, the Bills, and Calvin Ridley are both pretty interesting to me. Um, uh, like a, the Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Knox stack, I think jumps out as like if I can get weird with a cheap tight end who's correlated to Josh Allen, like awesome. And then Diggs, I think, is in such a great spot because you know Knox, we know, doesn't really earn targets; he's just a bet on touchdowns. But Gabe and Kincaid really struggled to earn targets last week, and Gabe struggled for an entire season to do that. Kincaid's a rookie tight end playing wide receiver. So it makes sense for Tars to just funnel to digs. Um, so I, I like that. And then, you know, it's it's gonna be tough to get the the bringbacks going on the Raiders side. I would love to have had Jacoby Myers because he would have been, he would have made that so much easier. Uh, but then Ridley, I I am going to have some Ridley this week. Uh, it's just such a good game environment. Um, I hope he doesn't end up being too, too chalky. I don't think he, he's, he's like kind of in a weird salary range. I don't know if he's going to be super popular. Daigle, um, out of those three offenses, it sounded like if there's a um, contrarian play in here, it's Gabe Davis. Anyone else or, or is, is Gabe the contrarian play for you? Gabe Davis and Christian Kirk. I think I'm going yeah. to be higher than the field on. Um, chalky players right now, highest projections. We have CMC, Dave Montgomery, Puka Nakua, Josh Allen, and now we haven't projected Joshua Kelly yet, but he will. Um, I'll ask two different questions. Daigle, who is the worst chalk out of that group? Probably Puka because wide receivers usually check in as the worst chalk because you still have to earn targets. And uh, yes, 40.5% target share is very impressive. I love Puka. He has a, he had a great profile coming out as well, but he's already been slapped on the injury report because of his workload as a fifth-round rookie in week one. Um, and the 49ers have just struggled, man. Uh, uh, or the Rams have struggled historically against the 49ers. Matthew Stafford's last five matchups, so since he joined the, uh, their offense against Kyle Shanahan, he's only reached 17 points three times out of those five and he's never top 20 like their passing game has struggled significantly so given our preseason outlooks and views of the rams it just kind of makes sense they come back to earth here and the 49ers just roll uh crane you kind of already answered it but who is the chalk that you like out of this group well cmc yeah cmc okay. and 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 Allen. um but but yeah i mean cmc is just like 
I was very impressed by the fact that they left him out there in that Steelers game. You know, like I thought we were going to get the Elijah Mitchell show. Right. And like they dominated the Steelers and he's still out there playing a ton of snaps. And that's like for this setup, you know, with with kind of the Rams being pretty weak on defense and potentially rolling over on offense and and us kind of laughing at ourselves that we all got excited about two random uh, Rams wide receiver. That feels like the most likely outcome, right? It's like in five weeks, we're like, remember when we got like super excited about two random Rams receivers? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So, you know, I I, I want to know if I'm going to play like a very expensive chalky running back. Like, is he definitely going to be out there all the time? And, you know, can he score touchdowns? Can he catch the ball? Like, CMC's got it all. Like, he, he is he is a very, very strong play. The way I view it for tournaments is that he should be over 50% rostered and he won't be. Thus, I am not scared of eating that and I will gladly play him, especially on vintage CMC Panthers usage. Uh, if you read my cash game article this week, I will break down um, CMC's value compared to the field. Um, it's just very rare that we have value scores that like lap the field by the number CMC um, is this week. And that usually indicates very good chalk. Uh, before we get into our favorite players at each position this week, I want to remind everybody that prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. If you go to pricepicks.com slash DFS MVP and use the code DFS, MVP, you will get a first deposit match up to $100. One of the easiest ways to play at prize picks is to look at four for four projections and see where we project players for more or for less, whether it be yards scoring or fantasy points. Two plays that stand out to me this week. Jameer Gibbs, 27.5 yards receiving on prize picks. We are projecting him for well over that at four for four. Jimmy Garoppolo, 33.5 pass attempts at prize picks we're projecting them for a little bit less but i could see that being much less that's a pretty high number they're missing jacoby myers they're going to run the offense a lot of josh jacobs so even though that could be a high scoring game i like jimmy g under 33 and a half pass attempts 25 dollars entry to 3x your money with a two player pick them reminder to go to pricepicks.com slash DFSMVP. Use the code DFSMVP for that first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, guys. Um, our favorite players each position. We've pretty much gone through the games that we're really interested in, so we don't have to give huge explanations here. But uh, if there's anything we missed, definitely uh, let us know what you're thinking. Pat, you kind of alluded to this. Uh, this is an interesting one. Your favorite quarterback this week. I mean, my real favorite quarterback is Anthony Richardson. Um, but you know, I I uh and I'll let you I'll let you discuss him. But the Brock Purdy definitely like is intriguing because I want to play CMC and he's so expensive, and then I can like kind of get the stack with with Purdy. Um and even though Debo also looks like he's going to be really popular, Purdy doesn't seem like he's going to get played much. Maybe I'm just kind of walking into like a, a really chalky cheek quarterback, but he he looks like an interesting way to to punt quarterback that isn't Richardson. Do you do you double Purdy? Do you play Purdy in non CMC? Like, how are you playing the build? I think I would double Purdy if Samuel wasn't going to be super popular. But I'm not really buying the Ayuk stuff from last week. I think the underlying 
it was it's it's not nearly as strong as his actual game line was. So I don't really want to go back to that. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able build wise to fit Kittle. So I think it's probably a single with CMC. Let's Brock yeah, I was gonna say let's let's Purdy. not forget that CMC can catch too. Yeah, Brock Purdy or Ryan Tannehill. I don't get. Out it's of a joke. Ryan I'm, I'm, uh, you know the other. <laughs> The other, like, if we want to get gross with the cheap quarterback, Daniel Jones is about to play a much oh, weaker defense. Darren Waller is such a good play. But, but I don't, I don't know if Waller's like expensive enough. I'm like, can I play naked Daniel Jones instead of naked Anthony Richardson? Or is that too weird? He did run 13 times last week. He yeah, he's, he's now a he ran for his life 13 times that he was running. Sure. sure. <laughs> uh, Daigle, I think I'm with you on this one as my. Uh, I have another favorite play, but this cash game play, I think I agree with you as a favorite tournament play of the week. Well, y'all picked cheap quarterbacks. So I just figured, okay, if I'm spending up, where am I going for tournaments? And Josh Allen, of course, is a great play, but if there's someone who can match Josh Allen that we spend up for, I would think it's Joe Burrow since we just don't know. That's what taking on the risk is. And we mentioned yeah. the Ravens missing so many pieces, important pieces, including on defense and Joe Burrow. That just wasn't him. Now, is that the same Joe Burrow as he continues to knock the rust off after that calf injury from the preseason in week two? Maybe so. That's kind of the risk we're taking on here. But he was blitzed on 40% of his dropbacks against the Browns and averaged 1.9 yards per attempt. Usually, every defense of the league knows you don't blitz. Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow. Those are the three guys who consistently kill you if you send an extra guy. But that wasn't the case in week one because Burrow is just so slow to the pitch right now. Um, maybe that's the case again against the Ravens. But if not, only Mahomes and Jared Goff threw more touchdowns against the Blitz than Burrow last year. So that's a quarterback where if the ceiling hits, he obviously brings along other high rostered players and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Yeah, we got the um, official news that Austin Eckler was um, unlikely to travel with the team a little before this podcast. So with that information, like it's probably Josh Allen's CMC builds in cash, but I still just want to mention Anthony Richardson here because he's a little less obvious than Josh Allen this week. 7,500 FanDuel, 6,300 DraftKings. We have Anthony Richardson as a top two quarterback value on both sites and the Colts um, actually threw a little bit more uh, than expected last week. So I think Anthony, Anthony Richardson um, is a fine play in all formats this week. Sticking with the Colts. Daigle, who's your favorite running back? This is a DraftKings specific only play because usually now we are seeing that running backs will get to 5K minimum, and that's when they just become not usable after that price. But Zach Moss is returning, and it's not only the perfect game script, there's no way the Colts go back to Deion Jackson after he was bad and fumbled twice. Sometimes it's that simple. Um, Jake Funk was promoted to the active roster, but again, this is a game that Deion Jackson fumbled twice and Evan Hole got injured in, and they still didn't go to Jake Funk. That's just a special teams play. So if Zach Moss is healthy and he was removed from the injury report, he practiced in full all week, I think he gets the carries in what is an amazing game script. Texans on Friday quietly downgraded C.J. Stroud and left tackle Laramie Tunzel after they came into the year putting two of their starting offensive linemen on injured reserve for the first four games. Uh, one of them even, uh, Titus Howard, out for the year now too. Not to mention that we're also going to be missing some key defensive players, Jalen Petrie um, and a few a handful of others for the Texans defense. So it seems like one where – 
I wonder if like the Texans even have enough firepower to, to bounce back. It just seems like it's an injury cluster, and thus we get into heavy negative game script for them, and then the Colts feel don't even feel the need to rush Anthony Richardson. They instead just lean on Zach Moss. Uh, Pat, talk to me about your favorite running back this week. Well, I'm just glad to – interesting. I'm going to take the uh, take the Colts line since it sounds like they were winning by 60 for, uh, for Zach Moss. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't have anyone that much, much better. I I'm going to, I'm going to say AJ Dillon. Uh, it's kind of like the, okay. Eckler's out. Everyone runs to Josh Kelly, but you know, it seems like Aaron Jones is going to be out and AJ Dillon is going to be taking over, uh, you know, a very, uh, productive role here. Obviously some of that is because Aaron Jones is so good, but AJ Dillon had a 30% targets per route run last week. He had an 11% target share, even with Aaron Jones having a 15% target share. It looks like they're going to be incorporated, the running backs, in this offense, in this Jordan Love offense. And we also can feel pretty confident against the Falcons that this isn't going to get away from the Packers. I expect that Jordan Love is going to regress in a big way. You know, he, he was number one in EPA per play last week, obviously, like noise, noise, noise. But, you know, this is not a, the type of game script where – AJ Dillon is going to get scripted out because they're down by so much. Like the Falcons are going to be running and running and the Packers are going to be comfortable doing the same and throwing to their backs and playing pretty conservatively. So this is contingent on Aaron Jones missing the game, but it does seem like we're trending that way. And uh, I get kind of a alternate version of the Josh Kelly play and hopefully much lower ownership. Even if um, Aaron Jones is out, everybody's playing David Montgomery at basically the same salary. So you're going to get like, I, even if he's out, I just don't see Dylan reaching double digit ownership. Um, in cash games, we are starting and ending and locking CMC into cash lineups. Despite his salary, as I mentioned, he's just the overwhelming favorite on both FanDuel and DraftKings as a value. The 4 for 4 value score has him 20 one percent above the field on FanDuel, twenty-eight percent on DraftKings. Uh, with Kelly and Montgomery available as cash game running backs, it should be very easy to fit CMC into cash game lineups. Corrine, who do you like a wide receiver this week? Well, I was gonna say Keenan Allen, and then one of the things you said, TJ, about um, uh, Derek Carr is leading leading the league in a dot against the Titans actually made me go. I should play this through Mike Williams. And, you know, because the thing that's interesting last week is like Quentin Johnston was the wide receiver for, you know, it was Joshua Palmer playing ahead of him as we thought that it would be early in the season based on, you know, the, the preseason and, and all of that. But like Joshua Palmer is very bad, you know, so that's, that's good for, for Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Like he, he's going to help focus targets away from himself and towards other people. And I think I might need the salary the more I look at it. When I, when I, it's like if I'm doing that mini that I talked about, get a Chargers wide receiver and uh, Chigaconquo, like I think actually I probably will end up on the Mike Williams side of that, um, just playing for some of those deep plays and, uh, and just trying to save the salary. Daigle, you like four for four's third best uh, wide receiver value this week. I thought Jaden Reed was going to come in, maybe overlooked after last week's dud, at least in the box score, but it seems like he may come in higher rostered than I expected. So something to keep an eye on. But 
I do think it's going to be a favorable game script. I'm a little more confident than you, Pat. The Falcons can sort of dominate this one and however the Falcons dominate a game like the Panthers because uh them dominating is up by they're they're gonna win by 10. Well it's the Panthers yeah it's, well, it's the Panthers game again where you just kind of drown the other team like Jordan Love wasn't good 55% completion rate bottom four and completion rate over expected the Bears just had so many breakdowns in the secondary because of the Bears uh but the but the Bears still ran 22 times against this Packers front seven and seven of those runs the second highest rate of any offense went for 10 plus yards and now you have the Falcons coming in and boy, that's not going to go well at all, especially with CPAT now adding some kind of uh, combination to the mix of Bijan and Algier. Also, Bakhtiari, que truly questionable for this game at left tackle. Christian Watson, DMP throughout the week, questionable as well. So it all tells us to get back on a cheap Jaden Reed since he left the game in the second half with cramps, but still tied Romeo Dobbs in target share. And unlike Dobbs, who was used as a tight end, Six and a half yard depth of target, 10% of their air yards, just happened to score on two targets inside the 10 yard line. Jaden Reed had the same target share, but 18 and a half yard depth of target. So like the results were so lacking compared to the elite usage he received. Uh, it seems like he's absolutely the player to chase in this offense. Uh, Puka Nakua is, we've talked about a bad nauseum already. Uh, we know the target share. We know the route participation last week. We know the first read targets from last week, 5,800 Fandle, 4,900 DraftKings. Just put them in your cash game lineups. Don't overthink it. Um, Daigle for your tight end. I kind of think, uh, the, the big, uh, spot of the week is going to be, who do we get right in this offense outside of the big two? So, um, talk to us. I also also like Donald Parham if you want to look for a little cheapy oh, stacks with yeah. Justin Herbert. Um, Donald Parham led them in targets inside the 10-yard line, three including the negated penalty he had. So um, I think he's kind of a, a cheap way. And he ran 43% of routes to Gerald Everett's 52%. Everett, who, if you're in redraft leagues, you can just drop. But Knox, I still think, is the most unique and logical way to get exposure towards Josh Allen because no one's going to play him. And again, I love when my tight ends, I try to make sure my tight ends always just fit the mold. I'm not one-offing tight ends in different games. I'm playing them in the same game with quarterbacks or on the opposite side. And Knox fits as a three, one to three percent play with Josh Allen, who no one else will play. Yeah, I love the Knox call. I'm I'm Chigakampo here. I've talked about him a few times, but you know, he was he was able to earn targets very easily last year. Uh, per route, and you know he had so that twenty five percent targets per route run last season, which is an elite mark for a tight end. He had only a seven percent targets per route run last week, which is which is very poor. But it's a one week sample. I'm going to trust that season long sample from last year that he can earn targets, and they want to get him involved. Uh, they try to get him involved in some of the same ways as Johnny Smith as well. Some of that yards after catch stuff, uh, some of those screens that they use Johnny with. We saw that last year with DeAndre Hopkins likely out. I think we see some of that this week um, and in a high-volume passing environment as well. And then 75% route participation for Chigakonkwo. That is a big, big bullish signal to me. I He could have been at 55%. I wouldn't have been shocked, you know, which is a massive dip. That's like Noah Fant versus, you know, a full-time tight end. So uh, I think he's just – you know, I don't want to go too, too crazy and, and lock button a tight end given the variance of the position, but it's just going to be fun for me to try to figure out ways to fit Chigakonkwo again, assuming Hopkins is out. 
Yeah, that Duke DNP on a Friday is uh, looming very large, trending towards not playing. Luke Musgrave is the logical cash game tight end, $5,000 FanDuel, 3200 DK, we have him as the top value below $6,000 on FanDuel at 4 for 4 He's our top overall tight end value on DraftKings. Falcons 27th in schedule, adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends last year and gave up the tight end two week to Hayden Hurst in week one. Uh, Daigle already mentioned the injuries in Green Bay. Plug in Luke Musgrave into your cash game lineups crane dst yeah yeah all the above i mean i kind of feel like daigle already made the case for me in the dst i'm going to take the buccaneers uh you know he said justin fields can't handle the the blitz he said uh his his dot doubled to six that's that seems bad um, and i was i was just really disappointed with the bears offense last week i thought maybe you know, we would see DJ Moore, them kind of making him a priority to get him targets, like not at all. And that really concerns me because you know, like when we talk about the first read target stuff, like we don't know who the first read on every play is. They don't chart that. Like that's not a thing we know. We just know you were targeted and you were the first read on that target. So I'm like, I've actually been refreshing 538 constantly to see if they have open score out yet. They, they, they didn't this morning. Um, because I want to know if DJ Moore just is not getting open. Like DJ Moore, like he didn't, he wasn't seeing any first read targets. I'm like, is that, it can't be because they didn't scheme to have him be involved in their offense. Like he either has no connection with fields right now, or he wasn't getting open. And I'm just like, if, if that isn't going to add an element to the bears offense and they're the bears offense from last year, I know Justin Fields is going to take sacks. I know he's going to make mistakes. So I think the bucks are pretty interesting. Uh, Bucks and Fields, like that's that's what's fun about tournaments is that I think both logically make sense when you discuss ownership as well. Um, for me, I talked about all the injuries with the Cowboys, and we genuinely just don't know their offense. We have no idea if it's good or not. And there were reasons throughout the offseason to bet against them, given their high touchdown rate inside the red zone last year, which usually comes back to earth. Um, so, yeah, the Jets defense makes all the sense in the world. Um, mine might look like chasing points a little bit after they were the DST one last week. The Cardinals, um, are still cheap at 3,800 on Fandle, 2,600 on DraftKings. Uh, they were seventh in pressure rate last week. The Giants allowed the second highest pressure rate. Obviously that's against one of the best, uh, pass rush teams, if not the best pass rush team in the league. So, uh, maybe a little skewed there. Uh, but I mean, Giants might just be bad too. So, uh, Cardinals, if you're looking to punt a defense, I think make a ton of sense. Uh, that does it for the week two DFS MVP podcast. As always, the easiest way to help us out if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform is to give us a five star rating review. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel. Check the description below in the YouTube uh, comments here for links to discounts on the DFS subscription to 444, for access to our Discord server, for access to the solver, to sign up for Legendary Upside with Mr. Crane, and that YouTube promo code, which is the word YouTube, gets you 25% off the 444 DFS subscription at 444.com slash plans. Karain, one more time, everything you got going on at Legendary Upside. Yeah, Legendary Upside right now, you can check out the walkthrough, um, which is a behemoth of an article that is a game-by-game -game, um, preview column. And yeah, talking through a lot of the stuff that, that we talked through in terms of how are these games actually going to 
play out? Game script, how are these offenses going to interact? Um, which receivers look like they're kind of a part of the offensive game plans? That's why I was diving in the first read target so much. Like in addition to who's out there, like who are they trying to get involved? Um, and so it's it's an article that I think is very helpful for DFS, but I think it's helpful for prop betting, any kind of, uh, you know, like any forms of DFS, prize picks, anything like that. I think you would find it very useful. Yeah, we're obviously um, deep in these stats all week from the second we get them, and it was still super helpful to me this morning, as you probably recognize throughout this podcast. You can catch all of us at X slash Twitter. Pat is at Pat Corain. Legendary Upside is at Legendary Upside. Daigle at not J Daigle. Four from four is at four from four football. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We will talk to you guys Sunday morning on the Discord. <laughs>